Thank you very much for that uh, meditation on lament and prayer. Really appreciate that. Uh, Brandon Levering is my pastor at Stonebridge Church. <clears throat> really appreciated his insight into Scripture. And, and uh, when I retired, uh, Brandon came. <clears throat> I tell people that Brandon Levering was the same age I was when I came to Cedar Hill Stonebridge but he was 20 years more mature than I was and uh, really appreciated his ministry. So thank you for those thoughts on lament. And uh, also, I've been praying for you as a church, um, praying for the Brickners and Davises. Uh, it's challenging times that we go through when people we love pass away. And uh, I know as a church family, we suffer as well. So I've been praying for the Lord's comfort to be with you. This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to Psalm 124 and just admit that we live in a time of overwhelming circumstances. Uh, there's a picture on the screen, I think, of something that happened a few years ago. Anyone remember that day, 2008, when Cedar Rapids was flooded? It uh, hit us by surprise and... Um, the water levels just kept rising. And then in 2020, the derecho blowing through our city, knocking down some of the historic trees. But we have a lot of other kinds of difficulties in our world today. Uh, COVID, the war in Ukraine, inflation. But I think that even more difficult than these things that are kind of global in scope, is the growing hostility we feel as Christians by those who oppose Scripture and, and the gospel. I was uh, really disheartened, I have to be honest with you, when I heard one of our national politicians claiming that the pro-life this is in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision, but she was saying that the pro-life pregnancy centers that we have that now outnumber uh, abortion centers three to one are really deceptive. They're, they're bringing people in and then they try to talk them out of an abortion in detrimental ways. And I thought, here's a national leader, a congresswoman, stirring up these kinds of thoughts. And I thought, you know, I've been a part of the Cedar Rapids community for 30 years. I've been a part of Aid to Women, which is now Bridgehaven. I've walked with women in my church through difficult days, and they've been helped by the love and care of Bridgehaven support services. I've seen babies come into a home and be greatly blessed. I've seen young men helped. I've seen women and men who suffered from post-traumatic syndrome as a result of an abortion in the past helped and given new hope. And I just think, why is it that in our country we have this growing hostility toward things that are Christian and it's obvious the people don't have only any personal experience with it. 
Now, am I the only one that feels the weight of that? I think we all do. And what do we do about it? How do we respond? We're in a cancel culture. I've been in conversations, and it doesn't matter whether it's person on either side of the political divide, and I've been canceled out in the midst of a conversation by both Christian friends who are maybe on the extreme right and uh, liberal friends who are on the extreme left. They just want to cancel me out. The cancel culture. And I think, how do we respond to this? You know, in these trying times, we can feel really frustrated powerless, anxious. We're overwhelmed with the changes in our culture on sexuality, issues related to race. How can we have joy and how can we enter in to our relationships in a healthy, meaningful way? I'm happy to report something you already know, that the Psalms and especially the Psalms of Ascent, can give us clear direction from the Lord that we need. We start our journey in Psalm 120, where a man is upset because he sees hostile neighbors and liars around him. We see that going on today. And he begins to look for help. And so in Psalm 121, he lifts up his eyes to the hills, but he thinks, no, it's the Lord. And he begins this dangerous trek toward Jerusalem. Then in Psalm 122, we find him entering the gates of Jerusalem and just reveling in it, taking a selfie, saying, I'm here at the gates. I'm I'm here to worship God. And then in Psalm 123, very honestly seeking mercy and help from the Lord. Well, today we come to Psalm 124. It details powerful enemies that we face, that people of God have faced through the centuries. And it tells us how we can praise God despite it and know that we have his help. I hope this is an encouraging message for you. I would love it if you would look with me at Psalm 124 and read along in your Bible as I read in mine. Psalm 124 a song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us, because we really need a word from you in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's how I would summarize what the psalmist is saying to us. When hostility and anger against us threaten us, 
we can praise God who is with us to help us and look for his escape. I say that because of the repeated words that you see through this psalm. In verse 1 at the beginning, the Lord is on our side. At the end, this Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. But in between, we have four powerful enemies that threaten to overwhelm us. They're bigger than we are. They're bigger than the psalmist. And he says, thank goodness, the Lord is on our side. What would have happened, he says in verses 1 through 5, without God? Oh, we would have been destroyed. And in verses 6 through 8, what did happen because he was with us? So let's look at those two aspects of this psalm. First of all, what we'd call the hazard, verses 1 through 5. Let's admit it. The life of a believer is a dangerous journey. Sometimes people come to know Christ and they think, oh, okay, everything's going to be rosy. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible tells us from the first to the end that the Christian life is a dangerous journey. And this psalmist begins right away telling us what would have happened if the Lord were not on our side. And then to emphasize it, he says, come on, Israel, say it with me. What would have happened had the Lord not been on our side? He's bringing them into the time of worship. His point is that had not the Lord been on their side, they would have been destroyed. And to drive that home, he brings in two powerful enemies. The first real danger that they face would be being swallowed by people who are angry. The size of the enemy is overwhelming to him. When I think about the size of this enemy, I think of one of my favorite authors, Tolkien, have you heard of him? In The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. remember reading The Hobbit to my kids and coming across this animal called Schmog. I think that's how you pronounce it. A monster, a dragon. And remember the little hobbit running through the gold, trying to find this prize, which is the ring. And this beast awakens and threatens to burn into a crisp. That's kind of the idea of the psalmist here. The enemy is so huge. We are in a hopeless situation if the Lord were not by our side. Without God, danger becomes destruction. It's real. It threatens to swallow us up. And this has been the experience of the people of God throughout the centuries. Whether you read the Old Testament with the Jewish people and the things they faced, and even through the Holocaust, survival of the Jewish nation is a miracle of our God but also Christians have faced great dangers and attacks and anger of people because of our God. But, as the psalmist says, God is on our side. Then he brings in a second enemy, 
Look at verses 4 to 5. He said, if it were not for our God, we would have been swept away in a flood, a torrent of raging waters. We're not sure of what was going on in Israel that he's referring to. He's not specific. We do know it's a psalm of David, so maybe he's thinking of the attacks of Saul or his battles with the Philistines, or maybe he's thinking of uh, his own son Absalom trying to usurp the throne. But whatever it was in Israel's history, it was like a flood. Now, in the desert, and I lived in Dallas, Texas, which is basically in the desert for five years, uh, you would see these humongous drainage ditches, and you'd think, they're empty, they're dry. Why do they have these here? Until the rains began to fall, and, and then the waters came up, and there was flash flooding throughout the land. It was overwhelming, and that's what he's saying here. It seemed as if, because of the anger and the opposition to the people of God, that it was like a monster and a flood that would overwhelm them. Sometimes it feels that way to us. Could be a relationship at work, and because of our faith, we're being ridiculed. Some have lost their jobs. I remember walking with a man in Germany who talked about growing up during the DDR, which was the communist rule in eastern Germany. And uh, he said, I loved engineering. I loved math. I wanted to go to university and become an engineer. But because I felt I wanted to belong to the Christian youth group in my church rather than the communist youth group, they forbid me going to college. Now just think about that. Sometimes we think we have it rough in our country. But just talk to people in other countries that have had to bear the weight of hostility. And I remember saying to him, well, do you have regrets and bitterness in your heart? And he said, no, I'm grateful. God had given him a life. He had a wife and, I don't know, seven, eight kids. And they lived on this little acreage area. They had goats and chickens. I mean, he was living the life he wanted to live. He was joyful in Christ. And that's the point the psalmist is making. Even when we're overwhelmed by attacks, God is with us. Sometimes the attacks that we feel, we become sensitive to because we fear what people think of us too much. Recently, my wife and I read this book. It's, I don't know, it's about 20 years old. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small, Ed Welch. It was a very helpful book because it reminded us that so often we do things out of a fear of what people think. And I think that happens to us today. When we try to live our Christian convictions and someone pushes back, we fear what they think of us. And so we become paralyzed or quiet when we should speak out. The psalmist would remind us that God is with us. God is at our side. 
You know, it's really interesting that uh, we usually have one of two reactions when we face hostility. One might be to pretend to be we're more bold than we think we are. I love the story in Exodus 14. Pharaoh is approaching with his army. The people of Israel are running for their lives. They get to the Red Sea. They're panicking. The Egyptians are ready to overrun them. And they cry out to the Lord. And then they start to blame Moses. Why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why'd you make us leave Egypt? Why didn't, we, why didn't you tell us this would happen when we were still in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us be slaves of the Egyptians. Isn't it funny what fear will do? So here's Moses. He knows he's obeying God by leading this obnoxious group of people, but he feels the pressure. The Egyptians are bearing down, and the people are complaining, and they've got this large river to cross. It's interesting, in verses 13 and 14 of Exodus 14, Moses tells the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, I can imagine that Moses tried to appear as a confident leader at that moment, but we get a hint in the next verse that maybe this was more pretending than real because the Lord says to him in verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Get the people moving. So sometimes fear can cause us to be more confident or appear more confident than we are, and we're just pretending. Or, secondly, we can hear these words and think, yeah, this is another reason I have a hard time believing the Bible. It just seems like unrealistic. We face these overwhelming circumstances, and you think God will be with us? Really? I know God worked in the past, but does he work today? And so we come to a conclusion. You know, I can't trust the Lord. I've got to rely on myself. Even as Christians, we do this. We say we believe in God, but we're practical atheists when it comes to thinking we have to do it on our own. Recently, there was a PBS special on Muhammad Ali. Remember the great boxer? And there's a story told of his life that one day he was flying and the flight attendant came to him and politely asked him to fasten his seatbelt. Flight attendants do that. That's part of their job. And uh, Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant said, Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> but you know, Muhammad Ali is just staying what we sometimes say. I don't need no help. I can't trust God. I'm going to do it my own, myself. So when it comes to this psalm, we've got to take into account that when danger comes, it's not weakness but strength to reach out to the Lord and say, we need help. 
I mean, look at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus entered a hostile world. His own people rejected him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's no way to avoid it. He had what many would call an emotional breakdown. Weeping to the point of like drops of blood coming from his face. He was so upset. Here was the person who walked on water, healed the sick, made wine from water, raised the dead, but chose not to use his power at that moment, but to lean on his heavenly Father, crying out, Abba, Father, save me from this hour. Not my will, but yours be done. It is okay to admit that the overwhelming circumstances we face are beyond us. We need the Lord. And then we need to remember that the Lord is on our side. So ask yourself, when when you come up against a difficult situation where somebody is angry with you, especially over your Christian faith, How do you respond? Do you panic, pretend, put on a brave face, hide in fear? Or do you lean into God and seek his promises, gather a prayer team around you to help? God is with us. Many people suffer and continue to suffer even after being Christians because they just struggle to believe that God is with us. But this is why I like the Psalms, because they're so honest, whether it be a psalm of lament or a psalm of praise. Here is the psalmist saying, the realistic thing is we would be destroyed if it were not that God was with us. The Christian life is a dangerous journey, verses 1 through 5. And now he goes on to talk about the help that we need. First was the hazard. What would have happened to us had the Lord not been with us? Now he goes into what did happen because the Lord was with us. And this is what he says in verses 6 through 8. Because the Lord was with us, we should praise him because he provided a way of escape. Again, we have these powerful images here. Uh, We're we're called to praise God who rescues us from two vicious enemies in verses 6 to 7. First of all, he says, God pulls us away from the jaws of a lion, verse 6. I mean, sometimes we read the Psalms and we pass over these things, but he's talking about a lion bearing down. He's got our head in his jaws. And God released him. That's how vicious his enemy was. Or the fowler's snare. In the Bible days, people would throw up nets to try to catch birds that they would then be able to eat. And he says, he he freed me from the hunter's trap. If you're a Christian, you know that uh, we have three basic enemies that uh, theologians and Bible teachers talk about, right? 
Uh, they're the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you ever realized as you've looked at these three enemies that as you read through the New Testament, you see that God provides a way of escape from each one of these enemies. So for instance, the influence of the world and its evil effects on us related to our culture and our culture wars. He says in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. You love the world, the love for the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Where's the escape there? The escape is there can be a greater love than a love for our culture. There's a greater love in God who can free us from the influences of the world. Take the flesh, the internal temptations, the fears, the doubts, the things that we experience. What do we do about these? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Apostle Paul is addressing a divided church struggling with some of these internal issues of the flesh. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you that it's not common to all of us. But God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond our strength, but with the temptation will also provide a way out that we may be able to endure it. And the escape there may be the strength to endure it. Just think about that. When I worked at the church office around Christmas time, there would always be delicious treats sitting on the counter. It's very difficult for me to walk by. Usually I could walk by that delicious set of treats once or twice, but I'd go into my office and sit at my desk and I'd think about that delicious chocolate candy. Think about that piece of cake. Could be a donut. It's sitting there waiting for me. And so, within five minutes, I was back to engage in that delicious food. Now, imagine a person going by all day long, and finally they just can't stand it anymore, and they give in. But imagine this. Our Lord Jesus Christ resisted to the point of death. And that's where we lean for help. That's why we have an escape from this enemy. And then there's the devil, the spiritual threats that come from the supernatural world. You know, in 1 Peter, he writes to Christians who are being persecuted. And in that context, he writes of our enemy, the devil, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he says. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now just think about that. He's saying, we're not the only ones that suffer from persecution. The devil is stirring people up. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, our battle's not really against people, it's against the unseen forces of the spiritual world. But he said, consider this. We live in solidarity with Christians all over the world. 
I'll never forget being in Asia, doing a workshop for pastors in a communist nation. And I asked the pastors how I could pray for them. And one said, pray for me. Our church meets in a cave. I said, why do you meet in a cave? Oh, the authorities shut us down, so we're in a cave. And he said, pray for us, because now the authorities are back, and we're afraid they'll want to shut us down again. And I said, wow, I'll pray for you, brother. I mean, here is a man who is articulate, seminary educated, speaks fluently English, and his country's Mandarin, whatever the language it was, and he meets in a cave with his church. They don't sing out loud. They whisper their songs so that the authorities don't hear. And he's saying, pray for us. And here I am, an American, who can worship freely on a Sunday morning, no problem, no worries. And I'm thinking, how can I even know what he's going through? And so I said to him, after I prayed for him, "Uh, what are you going to do if the authorities shut you down again? I'll never forget his response. He looked me in the eye and he said, oh, we have plan B. We've got another place all ready to go. (laughs) And I thought, oh, may I never forget these words. We live in solidarity with Christians all over the world that are suffering because of their faith. But God is with us and he will provide a way of escape. Now, I know somebody's sitting here thinking, yes, but what if it gets to the point of death? That's where the gospel helps us, doesn't it? Because who was it that faced the monster of the crowd crying out, crucify him? Who was it that was swept along the Via Dolorosa to the cross? Who was it that entered the lion's mouth as he hung on that cross, bleeding, bearing the weight of our sin? Who was it? of whom it is said in Hebrews 12, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus Christ himself faced death, willingly, gladly, joyfully suffered on our behalf in order to reconcile us with God. And ever since then, Christians have found hope and joy in this. You know that most of the disciples who followed Jesus were martyred for their faith. Peter said, I'm not worthy, according to tradition, to be crucified like Jesus was, hang me upside down. In Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen, who was being persecuted because of his bold witness. And as they were stoning him to death, his face was literally shining as he drew near to God. 
In A.D. 155, there was a Christian leader named Polycarp who was arrested for worshiping Christ rather than the emperor. The judge reminded him of his advanced age and promised to release him if he would swear to the emperor and curse Christ. But this is what he replied. Now, it would have been easy at his advanced age to say, okay, I'll just give in, take it safe, play it easy. But this is what he said. For 86 years, I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How can I curse my king who saved me? That was his response. And what was the result? The judge threatened to burn him alive. And Polycarp said, the fire will last only a moment, whereas the eternal fire will never go out. It's a warning to his captors. And he was burned alive. And because of his death, people came to know Christ. They believed in the witness of Jesus Christ. In China, Chairman Mao began to persecute Christians. People say that at the beginning of Mao's reign in China, there were four million Christians. When Chairman Mao died, estimates are that there were 40 million Christians in China. From four million to 40 million. Why? Because they knew the one who had died and rose again. And they were not afraid of death. This is what happens to God's people. And in a more recent example, in Charleston, South Carolina, a young man raised a gun in an African-American church and killed nine people. Horrendous thing. But even more amazing was the response of the families of those who died, who said they forgave him because Christ had forgiven them. God does not promise us an escape from the hardships of life and the dangers of people being angry with us because of our Christian faith. But here's what happens. As we lean in on this Father, who promises to be on our side, our hearts change. We become more confident and bold for Jesus Christ because we realize that the worst thing people can do us is kill us. And there's something greater to come. Who is this God that can inspire such courage in his people? Well, we see it In verse 8, this is the one we praise. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The name of the Lord is just a way of saying the Lord. If you're not a Christian here yet today, can I remind you of something as kindly as I can? The world, the flesh, and the devil are not your enemies. The Bible says in Romans 5 that you are an enemy of God. You have one big enemy, 
not three little ones. I would plead with you. Don't go through life alone. There's someone greater than you in the universe. Confess your sins to him. He's a loving Savior. Trust in him and be forgiven. If you're a Christian, may I encourage you to be confident. God is with you. People are small when God is big. Meditate on the greatness of God. Here is the maker of heaven and earth who stoops to help us when we have need. We call that God's transcendence. He is humongous, the creator of the universe. And he is imminent. He cares for each one of us. In fact, he cares so much, he has the hairs on our head numbered. What a God that is that we worship. I heard a preacher recently talk about how he walks to church and he was walking to his church one day and he saw a little girl playing on the jungle gyms, climbing up, and her dad was right behind her. And he said the little girl was climbing up the jungle gym. And, and it got pretty nerve-wracking because the higher you get, the further you are from the ground. But he said she was inspired to go on, to go on, to go on. Why? Because she knew her father would catch her. That's what the psalmist is saying. Oh, Christian, we can be confident in the Lord. He is with us. He is big. Our threats are small. Trust in Him. And then I think there's an application for, our, for the church. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Here's what I'd say to us as Christians in the church. We do not need to be afraid of cancel culture. In fact, we can lean in, listen to what the hostile voices say, and it's better to engage them individually. Listen, learn their perspective, and then prayerfully and boldly Share your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a resource that I found extremely helpful. It's called Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. She writes this Gospel Coalition book. It's not very long, but it's packed with meaning. She takes on all the bumper stickers and the signs in the yards that you see. Black Lives Matter, Love is Love, Gay Rights Movement is the New Civil Rights Movement, Women's Rights are Human Rights, Transgender Women are Women. She takes on those tough subjects in this book and brings a loving biblical response. But here's the thing, she shows she understands the hostile arguments and then enters in to a spirit-driven, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting Discussion with them. And people have come to Christ as a result of that approach. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not need to fear cancel culture. God has called us to something greater. Why? Not because we're so great, but because the Lord is on our side. It's His mission. It's His destiny. It's His glory.
not ours. What do we have to be afraid of? I love how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what the answer to that question is? No one. No one. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I circled that word all in my Bible because it reminds me all the things that I need, he provides through Christ. The one who made heaven and earth sent his son. He's our great defender. Oh, we'll face a little persecution, but God is with us, and we can praise Him because nothing will separate us from His love. So, the psalmist would say again, when threatened by overwhelming anger, monsters, floods, lion's jaws, bird traps, we can praise God who is with us to help us and to give us an an escape. Standing right below us as we're climbing up the jungle gym trying to do His will. And He says, I got this. I got this. Keep going. Isn't it great that we have a God like that? Let's just pause and thank him, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your great promises. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Thank you for the weapons of our warfare, the armor of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer that we see in Ephesians 6. Thank you for the church that gathers around to pray and to encourage. Thank you that we have a solidarity with Christians all over the world that are suffering. And what keeps us going is knowing that you are on our side. Oh, God, we need you. Forgive us when we get feeble and afraid and are tempted to shrink back in fear. Fill our hearts with boldness, Fill us with a love for people that goes beyond intimidation to truly wanting to serve them. Give us Scripture when we talk with people who are hostile toward us. And through it all, may you receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.